Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 41. And it's raining cats and dogs outside. It's a fucking gully washer. A common. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember Gushers? Those were so good. So fucking good. Do they still make them? I have no idea. Kids don't know about them if they don't. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, that's how it works. <laughs> you know what I mean. They don't know what they're missing out on. Anyway. Sorry. Of course I have to bring snacks into it. You know I love any gummy snacks. True. Okay. Let's get down to it. Most important thing ever. We have a new Patreoner. That's right. Shout out to Sarah H.W. Welcome to the Creepinati. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Illyria. Okay, we're lit. No. (laughs) Do y'all know what movie that's from? Please tell me you do. She's the man. Stop telling them. We have to weed out our people. <laughs> Just kidding. We love you all. <laughs> so, yes. Thanks for joining, Sarah. We are glad you're in the family. If you want to be part of the Creepinati, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast and check out the available tiers. That's right. Dun, dun, dun. Sorry. I just had to do it. It's a thing. Oh, you know what I have also? What? I'm still in your thunder. A podcast recommendation. Oh, first, let me tell you about mine. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do mine after. Can't believe you have another one. Save the best for last. What am I? I'm a sing-songy person today. I don't know. She smoked crack. And I need to not be, because I don't have a sing-songy voice. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The podcast that I've been listening to, it's short. It's like a, it was meant to be five episodes, but it's actually a six-episode series. That And the episodes are only like, 30 minutes long. Anyway, it's called The Pope's Long Con, and it's really good. Yeah, it's... Go ahead. It's like Donald Trump meets Dirty John. Yes, that is the perfect analogy. Yeah, so if you... it Obviously, it's about a guy that's a politician. And he cons. (laughs) Yeah. And it's long. Not really. Maybe something else does. Oh, God. So anyway, (laughs) check it out. It's good. Check it out, peeps. Let me know. It's bitchin'. That's, okay. That's about what you sounded like. <laughs> Case Files. He told me, not anyone else. Oh, me. Okay. It was like, What's know, his name? Case Files. I can't tell you. He wants to be anonymous, so, you know, when we write letters to each other. First of all, you can't keep a secret for shit. <laughs> Damn. If you're listening, Case File, dude, I can, and I will. Please, love me. But really, this whole time, I could be sitting here actually knowing his name, and you'd never know. Because I can keep a secret. Yeah, you really can. She really can't, (laughs) y'all. I mean, I've kept some big secrets. But you've told someone. Well, she took it to her grave. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm that someone. Uh, Marley is, too. And she does She more so than me. Yeah. Marley knows everything. Marley judges. Marley knows. Marley knows. Okay. Anyway, Case Files, he told you. Yeah. He told me. Listen to. (laughs) Someone else is going to be like, he told me too. Listen to Missing Alyssa. It's about a teenager in Arizona. Goes missing, obviously. It's like a 16-year-old cold case. Really good. Really good. I'll have to check it out. All right. We getting down to business. We doing it right. 
jumping straight in to the best story ever. It's mine. <laughs> Picture it. San Pedro, California, 1989. Jackie Hernandez is 23, pregnant with her second child, and her marriage is failing. Aww. So she needs a fresh start. That fresh start is a sweet little bungalow in San Pedro. She moves there with her two-year-old son, Jamie. It wasn't all roses and carbs, though. Jackie was struggling. She's now a single parent, sole provider for her family, and so she's working multiple jobs. Super stressed. I don't know how people work multiple jobs like that without kids or, Mm -hmm. like, without being, like... I mean, I'm fucking exhausted. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not growing a human inside me. Right. With a toddler to fucking chase after. Yeah. So what we're going to talk about is a haunting that lasts three years. But it starts out small, barely noticeable. Hmm. Very poltergeisty. Yeah. So her cat, it chased eerie shadows around the house. She heard voices muttered in the attic. One day, she sees pencils fly out of a pencil holder. They're not supposed to do that. Mm-mm. Nope. Didn't hold the pencils real well. Mm-mm. It had one job. <laughs> so, she, again, heard the unexplainable sounds. One sound was like a high-pitched screech coming from inside her walls. And then shuffling of moving something in her attic. One night, she heard the attic noises. And so she followed it, and it landed in the, like, it pinpointed to the laundry room. And that's where one of the attic portholes would be. (laughs) I mean, because it's not, like, the ladder thing. (laughs) I mean, you know. (laughs) Why is that funny? I don't know. I just, it was. It was. (laughs) Okay. That was a genuine laugh. Well, they all are. <laughs> they all are. That's how it sounded. <laughs> oh, God. Well, when she gets there, that porthole is freaking open, and it's just pure black. She said you couldn't penetrate the darkness, it seemed. So she's like, I can't leave that open, because, mm-hmm. hello, you're going to be thinking about that. And somebody could be living up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right where I would go in my brain. <laughs> in a wedding dress. And yeah, if you and don't know axe. that, listen to episode three. Learn all about that shit. So she has to climb onto her washer and close it. And she said at that moment, that was the first time that she felt like she wasn't alone. That's so scary. Yeah. Because all of this time she thought she was hallucinating. Like, okay, I'm pregnant. I'm stressed. Hormones are crazy. She's tired. Yeah. But now it's like, okay, this was open by something. Her daughter, Samantha, was born in April 1989, and the events continued. So it wasn't just her hormones. Which is stupid, though. Pregnancy hormones don't make you fucking hallucinate. Yes. Well, I feel like. I don't know. I've never been pregnant. I could be wrong. But you know what I mean? I don't know. Good input there. Thanks. I came up with it myself. (laughs) So, one night, Jackie and one of her friends were cooking, and they saw several orbs of light float through the room. And they were kind of, like, 
striated or whatever. You know, like when you have the long exposure on fireworks and it kind of has like a tail. Yeah. Or like how you used to write your name and your with the fireworks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that. And so Jackie's like, I'm going to take a picture because. Sparklers. Yeah. Sprinklers. Sparklers. That's yes. what I was thinking. <laughs> so Jackie wants to take a picture because she's like, this ain't normal. And so, you know, it's 1989. So you have to look through the viewfinder of your Fuji film. And it, was the, it was the 80s. It was Kodak. True. And in it, she like pointed it towards the window where you could see the lights. And there was a face looking back at her through the window. And it was of an emaciated old man. So she, like, runs outside, and no one's there. I wonder, like, when she put the camera down, did she still see it? Mm, I don't know. She tells her ex-husband, Al, about it, and he's like, look, you got to call those spirits out. So she's like, you know, doesn't have Google to say how to call, how how do you call spirits out? (laughs) So she's like, talks to her landlord about it, because, you know, she's young. She doesn't, she doesn't fucking know. She's like, I fucking need an adult. Yes. So, she's like, look, I pay you money. Come fi- come do something. Your house is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, he's like, I got it. And so, I'm going to send you a priest. Priest gets here. And he is capital U-S-E-L-E-S-S. So, what the priest decides is that the house is fine, but she is possessed by the devil. And he's like, you in danger, girl. Peace. So he's he's not going to do anything about it. Exactly. Even though she's not fucking possessed. Right. She needs a second opinion. <laughs> well, the next day after he, the priest left, Child Protective Services showed up to see if Jackie was using drugs. Because apparently the priest had called the agency. The priest called? Mm-hmm. Because he believed that she was using hallucinogens while she was pregnant and... He's the one that fucking said she was per- Mm-hmm. This motherfucker. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. So can you imagine, like, feeling trapped, like, trapped in your house, trapped in your life. Nobody just, fucking believes you. Yeah. And now getting a fucking legit agency called on you for no reason. Meanwhile, if she was actually on drugs when she was fucking pregnant, they would have found that out at the hospital when she had the baby because the baby would have, like... Yes. Yes. Withdrawn from the drugs or something. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Had fucking withdrawals or some blood test shits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me a break. (laughs) That aggravated me. (laughs) Heated. Triggered. (laughs) Legit. That, like, my blood's boiling. Yeah. That it was the fucking priest that... Mm Mm-hmm. Like, didn't want to help her, but then gonna be shady as fuck. And tell her she's possessed. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, not like... Okay, if you don't believe her, be like... You know, I really don't feel a spirit here. Let me let me pray over the house. Right. How are you doing? Yeah. How are you, you know. No. Instead, he's like, mm, I think you're possessed. Right. And then we'll go, fuck him. I can't. Oh, I'm lit. He's trifling. And fuck a trifler. Then there is this one time during the summer, she's bringing in groceries, puts some milk on the table, turns around, getting out more groceries, Here's this explosion of fluid, and she whips around to look, sees the milk exploded, and she notices on her refrigerator those little magnet letters. It's spelled out, get the hell out. 
what the fuck? Right? So then she's like, someone's got to be here. Like, someone's got to yeah. be playing with me. So she looks around. No signs of a break-in. Nothing in her home's been moved. So she's like, it's a fucking ghost. Like, I mean, Jamie, he good with those letters, but he sure ain't going to get that one. Right. I mean, and he's two, so. Yeah. Later that evening, after she had put her kids down for bed, <laughs> that's not this kind of story. <laughs> um, and so she begins to hear raspy breathing. So, again, she follows the sound, and it goes to her son's bedroom. And when she looks, she can see this haggard old man sitting next to her son on the bed, staring straight at her emotionlessly with burning red eyes. Wait, like our Sinister Sightings episode two episodes ago? Mm-hmm. Like that story was real? Like, please tell me it's not. <laughs> Skirt. <laughs> so... She said what the man was wearing was a lumberjack flannel shirt and denim suspenders. Was he tall and did he have a beard? Because then we're we're on the same team. <laughs> no. Well, he was sitting, so she couldn't really tell. But she did say she saw something like a third leg. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was really long. And oh, very pronounced. So, unexplained events started being the norm around there. She would... See the strange lights, see colored mist, apparitions. And one evening, she was washing dishes with her friend Chrissy, who's her neighbor slash babysitter slash friend. She has a lot of those. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's young, like Jackie. So they're just, you know, chilling, living their best life. And like I said, washing dishes, doing mundane fucking things. Mm-hmm. And there's... A liquid that oozes from the wall onto the counter. What? And it's like blood-like. It's like red or like that consistency? That consistency, that thick. Ooh. So, and they said it like stunk. Ooh. Yeah. Also, with Chrissy, like I said, slash babysitter, she was babysitting one time, checked in on James's room, and... She closed the, She opened the door, checked on him, closed the door. When she turned around, the door creaked back open, but, like, all the way wide open again. Mm-mm. And she's like, okay, maybe I didn't latch it. I'm going to tell myself I didn't latch it. Okay. If I were her friend, because, I mean, I get it. It takes a village. You know, she's yeah. single. Like, I don't mean that ugly. Like, she has a lot of those. Good for her that she does. Yeah. But if I was one of her friends, I would be like, Oh, I'll watch you kids, but they fucking come into my house. <laughs> right. I ain't going to your For haunted sure. house. For sure. Another babysitter slash friend slash neighbor, Darlene, she was watching the kids, and she heard a scary voice come from Jamie's room, and it was, like, all, like, guttural sounding, mm-hmm. and it said, enter the bathroom and don't come out. And she did. She was. She said that she was scared not to follow it. What? I don't know what I would do in that situation. Me either. Because, okay, if you don't follow it, you could get hurt. Yeah. But if you do follow it, who the fuck knows what you're walking into in the bathroom? Right. Oh, my God. What would you do? Call you? FaceTime you? Meanwhile, it's 1980, though. Oh, fuck. Well, 89, I think. Anyway, you ain't fucking yeah. FaceTiming nobody. Fuck. I'd probably sit 
in the middle of the room with like a flashlight, put some salt around me, and be like, fainting goat. <laughs> and how long did she have to stay in the bathroom? I don't know. And don't come out? Well, for how long? Am I counting to 100 backwards? <laughs> or, I mean, what what's happening? I guess till Jackie got home. So weird. I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea what I would do. Okay. I want y'all to tell us what you would do, but but do it like picture it. 1989. I hear it straight. You know, like I hear mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like go to the bathroom. Don't come out. And then finish that. Like I'd run screaming, blah, 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 blah. I, I think, okay. I have so many questions though. One, was Jamie in the room where the voice came from? Yes. Because if that's the case, absolutely fucking not. I would go in that room. Because that could be like a human being trying to kidnap him. And you know what I mean? True. So I would go straight to that room and get the kids. And then maybe go if there was nobody in there. Like, oh, shit. Which is why I I don't trust me with your kids. Because I'd be like, "Mm, okay, bye. I think that your natural... I'm just kidding. I no, 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 I leave. know. I, no, I know. But I think that, like, your natural, like, fight or flight would take over. And so it would just depend on which one of yours wins. Yeah. You know, are you a flighter or a fighter? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one, I'd probably be like, you okay? And if he's like, yeah, well, well you know, like, I mean, I guess you could tell, you know. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm a kid, al- so he couldn't be like. Yes, I'm fine, and yeah, you... Well, I'm also picturing this happening, like, at midnight, and she's, like, going through, flicking off the lights in the house, you know? Yeah. And the kid's asleep, and she hears, get in the bathroom now, you know? Yeah, which is why I'd be like, Jamie, like, I'll wake a fucking kid up mm-hmm. before I go in there and someone conks me on my fucking head. Mm-hmm. Woo, that was a tangent on that. Well, just so many questions. I know. Another thing that happened in the kitchen, her and Susan... Again, neighbor slash friend slash babysitter. They were chit-chatting, probably gossiping. Then they heard a bang in the kitchen. Rushed to see what it was. And they found a picture that had fallen, but it fell perfectly, like, on the side of her sink. Not crazy. It's like, okay. But on the table, which is not by her sink, the two nails that it was hung on were balancing on their heads. Perfectly. They're not supposed to do that. Mm-mm. And, like, how is it going to fall, land here, but then the nails land perfectly mm-hmm. over I there? C- I could see one landing head up. Right. And, like, the other one spinning or, you know, just on its yeah. side. But both of them, the odds would have to be probably, like, one in one billion. Yeah. So, she's living in a nightmare. Then she starts dreaming nightmares. Uh-uh. So she can vividly recall dreaming about a younger man being clubbed with a lead pipe and drowned by his assailant in San Pedro Harbor. And she said it looked like from the 1930s. And in this dream, she becomes the dead man. So she experiences his horror of being held underwater uh-uh. and like his consciousness ebbing in and out, you know? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. All of this has led up to where. Life is unbearable for her. So, since she's always working, she usually drops her kids off with Susan in the morning. Which is, again, the same person that she was talking to Mm -hmm. when the picture fell. One summer morning, Jackie shows up at Susan's door. She's erratic and just in a a panic. So, Susan calms her down and she tells what 
been going on. And this is when she's seen that figure again, that old man in her boy's bedroom. And she's been hearing those noises again. Mm -hmm. And it's just all getting to that tipping point. So Susan's like, I know exactly who, like, I believe you. I've heard shit, you know, Mm -hmm. but I believe you have seen this, blah, blah, blah. Let me call somebody. She calls Dr. Barry Taff. She goes, or actually it's like, it's like, you know, (laughs) if you're young, that's the rotary phone. Dr. Barry Taff, he is a well-known parapsychologist. And he's known for working with Doris Bithers, Bithers, and that whole thing was called The Entity. It was a movie made about this whole ordeal with her, which I'm going to cover later because it's about an incubus. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Susan tells Dr. Taft, look, there's two kids at home. These children need a safe place. On the night of August 8th, 1989, Dr. Taff and his his little posse showed up to interview her to see what's going on. He brought his friend and cameraman, Barry Conrad, and he's, like, accomplished. He's won an Emmy. Damn. So they enter the residence, and right off the bat, they're like, who fucking farted because this house stinks? Just kidding. But it really did. Like the putrid Sulfur. stench. Mm-hmm. But, Shit. well, they said it smelled like death and decay. Ooh. Yeah. They couldn't find the source of the smell, so they're like, let's just air it out. Hopefully it goes away. So they finally sit down. They're going over the preliminary questions, and all of a sudden, a loud crash came from the attic. So everyone froze. Boom. Another one. This time, it was louder. Jackie made her way to the kitchen and points to the ceiling. She's like, I know exactly where this is coming from. It's an attic. I know what it is. It's a severed head that I saw floating up there. What? And so they all are like, exactly like, the fuck? Uh, you buried the fucking lead on this one. Right? <laughs> so they opened the attic door, hoisted themselves up, like got their cameras. You know, they're... Mm-hmm. they're Ready. Mm-hmm. They prepared. They professional. They found nothing but, like, junk, dust, cobwebs. Dr. Taff later said he kept hearing what sounded like a 200-pound rat running around in the attic. Ooh. And everyone was experiencing a sensation of overpressure where it was like you are being underwater, you know, just, like, heavy. Just like her dreams? Mm. So true. So, back in the living room, Jackie's like, okay, a few nights ago, I heard a muffled voice coming from the attic, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go see what it is. Probably because she listened to our episode three and was like, Danny, is that you? Mm -hmm. And so, she pokes her head through the attic door, armed with a flashlight, saw nothing but, again, the junk, cobwebs, and dust, However, she shined the light in the corner, and she saw a floating, disembodied head, and it was coming right at her. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. And so she said that she's never gone up there since, and she hadn't ever told anyone about that. But she's like, that's what it sounded like. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah. 
she also said that weeks prior, soda cans and other objects were flung at her by unseen hands. And Jackie was able to show them where that that blood-like fluid mm-hmm. oozed from the wall. And they saw it and were able to take samples of it. And later, the it showed that it was human blood plasma. And it was the blood of a male with heavy iodine and copper content. What? Mm-hmm. How in the fuck? Right. And then they were asking more about this head. And she said it looked like that old man. Yeah. And they said, how many times have you seen it? And she told them about the times I've said it. And then she said that she also saw him sitting in her on her dining room table, like at her dining room yeah. table. Just sitting in the dark, staring straight at her with those red. So after a few hours of questioning, taking pictures, all of that, they're like, all right, we're going to call it a night. Well, they're packing up their gear when one of the assistants asked the photographer, the guy I didn't know his name before, mm-hmm. Jeff Wheatcraft. He's like, go up to the attic and take some shots of it empty. Yeah. Just so we can see. And... Barry Conrad, the video, the cameraman, Mm -hmm. he accompanied Jeff. While they're up there shooting pictures, something grabs a hold of Jeff's 35-millimeter camera and threw it across the attic. Uh Uh-uh. Don't be breaking my shit. Right. And so, before Jeff could react, Barry saw that he was shoved by the same phantom hands that snatched his camera. So, when they both came down, Jeff was pale white and... They're like, we getting out of here. Yeah. You know, one, lenses and shit, that's expensive as fuck. Right. Fast forward to September 4th. Life has reached a breaking point for Jackie. And because the ghost began to play with her son's toys in order to get her attention. Mm -mm. First, it threw a beach ball into the living room. So when she went to retrieve it, she was attacked she was grabbed by an invisible hand that held her down until she couldn't breathe. Uh-uh. When she finally got to her feet, she grabbed the baseball bat and ran to the attic. And she was like, like, come get me then. I'm ready. You yeah. Know? And she said it allegedly appeared before her. So she called Barry and his crew again and was like, look, he's back. It's, it's worse. Like, yeah. I am being attacked. So... They they came, and they also brought another photographer. This time, state-of-the-art equipment, like, they're like, we're catching this shit. They were able to film some of the masses of light, like I said, those streaks. So, Jeff and Gary went up into the attic. Jeff wanted to determine what happened to him weeks before, so they're, like, snapping away, nothing happening. Gary's like, all right, let's just go back downstairs, so they're turning, going down. Jeff is like, <gasps> Gary turns around and he just like snaps a photograph to for the flash to happen mm-hmm. so he can see what's going on. And it highlighted Jeff's face and he is like terror. He had been hung up on a rafter by a pair of... Uh, it said unseen hands, but it wasn't. It was clothesline. Jeff had been? Yes. The b- human? Yes. 
Yes. So in that moment, Barry, Jackie, and Susan all heard the commotion coming from upstairs, the attic. Yeah. So they're like gathered around the attic entrance and we're like, what's going on? He he was like all covered in spider webs and dust. Mm. He was completely flushed of color. And around his neck was that clothesline that was on it. And it, it had hung on like one little nail up there. So like he was able to compose himself. And so he said he was making his way downtown. <laughs> um, he was making his way down right behind Gary. And he felt someone put a noose around his neck and yank hard and hoisted him up to that rafter. Mm-mm. Uh, and so like he had to like go lift him. Gary had to oh, go lift him my God. to get him down. And that is the last time that Jeff Wheatcraft ever stepped foot into that San Pedro bungalow. Shit. Yeah. So the activity continued several months, but it started to die down some random lights, spectral voices, and that the stench would come and go. Just wasn't always there. In the fall of 1989, she and Al, her ex-husband, were trying to patch stuff up. Also, she's fucking tired of this house. Right. So a girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. Oh, real. So they moved to Weldon in Kern County, which is a small, favorite word, rural (laughs) area, like 380 miles north of Los Angeles. And they're like, fresh start, you know, this is us. Mm Mm-hmm. So she felt comfortable there. She's like, all right, the house is gone. I'm good. Everything's going to be okay. But she said that her marriage failed within a few months. Her husband left. So she's living in this remote area with only a few neighbors. And she is running up her bills on her phone, calling long distance to Los Angeles, which is where she's from. I was going to say, who's she calling? So, also, with, like, the few neighbors, we know she has her her village, like you said. Right. Back there. And it's, like, here, she's now a single mom mm-hmm. with no help. Right. So, then, shit started happening again. She moved a TV into a storage shed with the help of two neighbors. And... They saw an image of an old man on the TV screen. Mm-mm. Same one that she had seen in the San Pedro house. That night, she said she was kept awake by someone pounding on the inside of the shed like it was wanting to get out. So she called the posse again, the paranormal posse. That's going to be their title. And so they arrived, and from the minute... They arrived. They couldn't get their video cameras to work. Mm-mm. Like, everything started switching off. So, she's like, look, why don't we try a Ouija board? Because uh-uh. all of this technical shit's not working. So, they're like, all right, let's do a little seance. And one of her neighbors, slash friend, slash babysitter, I'm sure, was there. And then all of them. So, they... Began And when they began, the table started shaking. Mm-mm. And they asked some questions, which I'm about to go over in a minute. Simple questions were like, are you a ghost? And it was answered, 
yes, like moving it yeah. to the yes. Barry asked, how many ghosts are, are there in here? And he was given this answer, which seems really long to write out. But it said, phantoms fill the skies around you. What? I mean, I get it, but yeah. what? I would have been like, write this fucking down. You know? Right. Meanwhile, my ADHD ass would have gotten lost half with her and be like, <laughs> fuck, what letter did they, she just Right? Do? Exactly. They asked why it had targeted Jeff, and it replied that he resembled his killer. <gasps> when they asked why it targeted Jackie, it replied with energy. And when they asked what kind of energy, dead was its response. What does that even mean? I don't know. Maybe it wanted to drain her to where she was dead. Like, and it had all of her energy. Because, again, we know it's going to be playing off of. True. You know, the more it scares her, the more powerful it is. So then you are going to crack up at this. Fast forward and you don't. But it, so it stopped responding a lot. And then it, it spelled out, I must go now. The sun cometh. What? Yeah. Like. First of all, okay. are you a vampire? And second of all, <laughs> is it 1843? Right? Like. The sun cometh. Like, okay, Shakespeare. Um, Why does the sun matter? Right. Is it a vampire? I mean, you know. All right, keep going. Okay. People need their beauty sleep. True. Me too. Lots of it. <laughs> so the board explains her haunting which is what Jackie believes. She said that, because, okay, there were some more questions that she, like, that they went over. And so I'm just going to read them out. I'm not going to say, like, Q, A, Q, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I get it. How long have you been trapped in the spirit world? 60 years. Did you die in the San Pedro house? No. Where did you die? San Pedro Bay. Ooh. Did you drown? No, I was held underwater. Ooh. Ooh. Did you live in the San Pedro house? My murderer. <gasps> so my murderer lived there. So Jackie said the ghost also revealed that he had been born in 1912 and died in 1930. So she went and scoured some old newspaper reports. And there was a death of a seaman named Herman Hendrickson. And his body was found floating under a pier on March 25th, 1930. Wow. So he's 10 years older than the age indicated by yes. the Ouija thing. And, like, he had a jagged wound on the top of his head. So the coroner ruled that he had drowned. And that one said it was held under. Right. But, I mean, again, he still could have, like, been fighting and mm -hmm. been held under. So she's like, um, this kind of... Links up. Right. So the second ghost, she believes there was two entities. She talked to old time San Pedro residents and she learned that the bungalow was built by a man named John Damon. And they assume that he is the old man that's haggard and all of that, that, you know, has the raspy breathing and all that. Great. Not great. <laughs> all that all that jazz. So she stayed at the Weldon trailer that she lived in with her ex. I mean, he left, but so she stayed there until the summer of 1990. Then she moved back to Los Angeles. So after moving, 
the ghost followed, but things weren't weren't super frequent or yep. anything. Jackie said that John Damon made a graceful exit. While she was visiting San Pedro in the spring of 1990, saw a ball of light, bright enough to be visible in the daylight. The sun cometh, he does not careth. <laughs> um, and so it's outside the house that she was staying. So she follows it to a nearby graveyard, and it hovered over a stone marking the grave of John Damon. What? So she said the ball, the ball of light went around and around the grave and then just disappeared. And she said it's just like he was saying goodbye. She said her children are fine. Samantha, nearly four, was too young to remember anything. Her son, Jamie, picked up some bad karma and was thrown against the wall. And so he has some trouble sleeping alone. But otherwise, he's all right. The kids are all right. She now works as an office manager for an accounting firm. And she says she sees things differently. She, this is a quote. I'm more scared of dying than I was before because she believes they were like living in hell. And so she's like, fuck, if I die, what if I'm right in this? But she does add, in hindsight, I think I was fortunate to see and experience something firsthand that most people never see. And I mean, true. She, she can say, uh, been there, done that. Right. To this day, the house on 593 West 11th Street has seen many tenants come and go, and some have reported hearing strange bumps and sounds coming from that attic. Nope. Right? So Dr. Barry Taft, he devoted his life to studying this and other hauntings, like I said, the entity and all that. So he's been quoted as saying, there is no such thing as a paranormal. It's a misnomer. So, like, we just lump everything under paranormal. Yeah. Like, is he saying it's name-drawn kind of thing, huh? Yeah. He claims that it's all a complex psychological phenomenon known as RSPK, recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis or zero-point energy, where the mind physically manifests the perceived nor- paranormal events. So, kind of like a poltergeist But he's saying, like, we're haunting ourselves. Okay. So, again, basically a poltergeist. Okay. He's saying that emotional distress, all of this, that perfect storm Mm -hmm. makes whatever is there, like, there's something there, whatever that is, that energy, this fuels it. They said that her emotional distress at the time of her life helped contribute to the power of the hauntings. And when she started gaining a sense of calm and, like, starting over, not at that house, the powers that the spirits had over her kind of withered away. And that's why they kind of just dissipated. But how do you explain the other people having those experiences? Such as the guy being fucking hanged right right that's where i have problems with that like yes was it a poltergeist sure but when you don't understand something you go to reddit and i found this and it's by baby kitten 28 okay hit me with it she said that one theory that she's read about the haunting was that it was a poltergeist and the reason that it repeatedly attacked jeff 
is because he was always in the company of Barry, who Jackie was romantically interested in. So she unknowingly directed the violence at Jeff because he frustrated her desire to spend time with Barry alone. Mm. God, I forgot a major thing. Not a major thing, but at the end of that seance Ouija board session, Mm -hmm. Jeff was thrown against the uh, thing of the shed, the wall of the shed. Yeah, sorry. So he got attacked twice. Mm -mm. And then Swamp Mutt responded to that. (laughs) And said that, like, I can't believe I've never heard that theory. I love reading people's, like, Mm -hmm. comments and stuff. I had read about it possibly being a poltergeist, but made no real connection between Barry or Jackie's feelings towards him. And he said, after all, well, he said, the poltergeist theory is interesting and could easily fit. I'm just saying swamp months of a guy, I don't know. He said, after all, she was newly divorced, pregnant with another child, going to school, and working pretty hard to make ends meet. That kind of stress is perfect recipe for a poltergeist. And I have to agree. Yeah, but I feel like the, like, lichen, berry, and all that, like, how the fuck they know that? I mean, maybe they said it. Like, they had, they did, like, a documentary okay. and stuff. So, I mean, I don't know. Hell, maybe she got with Barry. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I honestly, I have no idea. But that could be it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, she could have felt like... I mean, maybe she didn't even care about Barry, but maybe she thought Jeff was, like, pompous or something yeah. like that. And yeah. And that energy went towards him. Now, that I buy more. <laughs> because you're a bitch. Well, I mean, <laughs> he shouldn't be a pompous ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, that was that, a good one. That was The Haunting of Jackie Hernandez, which spanned three years. Also, though, mm-hmm. what the fuck ever happened with social services? And that motherfucking priest. Right. Never thought I would say that sentence. <laughs> they probably were like, oh, this, like, Is you have no bullshit. drugs in your system. Yes. Your kids are fine. Blah, blah, blah. She's like, look, don't worry about what's in the attic. And it's like, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom. We have a 200-pound rat. No worries. It's just a head floating. <laughs> It'll be okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you're going to top that story. Oh. Oh, shit. But I will. <laughs> Challenge accepted. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a bad one. Um, I mean, it's a bad one, but it's not a bad one. Yeah. Is my tragedy worse than your tragedy? That's what I feel like we're doing right now. And I'm sorry. Real people live this. True. So. Good point. I don't want to be a pompous ass. Yeah. All right. Have you ever heard of Danielle Van Dam? Is she related to Claude? Jean-Claude Van Damme. No. No. I'm just kidding. I don't know. I was thinking, we used to say, God, what did we say when we were a kid? It would be like... Van Damme, you're sexy. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Danielle Van Damme was the middle of three kids. She had a brother named Derek, who was nine at the time. She was seven. And she had a younger brother named Dylan. He was five. Her parents, Brenda and Damon, so they all lived together in San Diego. And on the evening of Friday, February 1st, 2002, Danielle's mom, Brenda, and two of her friends went out for like a girl's night on the town. And her dad, Damon, stayed with her and her brothers at home. Around 1030, Damon put Danielle to bed 
and she went to sleep. After he put Danielle to bed, Damon took a kind of a little cat nap until his wife got home around two in the morning. And when she came home, she had four of her friends with her. Oh, Lord. Brenda noticed at first that there was the light on their security system was flashing. And she noticed that the side door to the garage was open, but she didn't think anything of it, you know. The six of them sat around chatting for about half an hour when the friends decided to go home. Brenda and Damon go up, well, I say upstairs. I don't know if they had enough stairs. I'm just adding that in. They go to bed, you know, just kind of doing their normal thing. About an hour later, Damon woke up because he noticed the alarm light flashing again. And he found that the sliding glass door to the backyard was open. Oh, so fuck. he closed it. Again, like, didn't think anything of it, didn't really check anything. Well, and it's late at night. Yeah, he's not. I mean, I'd probably be like, the fuck? Yeah. You know, thinking, well, shit, Brenda was probably drunk when she came in and just left it open, you know? Yeah. Like, silly Brenda. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the next morning, when they wake up, they find that Danielle's missing. Oh, fuck. And so they call the police at 9.39 a.m. So they started looking for Danielle. I mean, hundreds of volunteers are searching. It's They've got the deserts around them. You know, they're searching. So they're searching all these remote areas, the desert, the highways, everywhere. The Laura Recovery Center was an organization that helped. And then they... They they started what they called the Danielle Recovery Center. They used, like, a real estate office to help coordinate the searching. Yeah. How old did you say she was again? Seven. Oh, God. So, law enforcement, they start to interview the neighbors. And when they get to the next-door neighbor's house, David Allen Westerfield, that Saturday morning, he wasn't home. So, Westerfield didn't get home until about 8 a.m. on Monday. And so when he got there, he was driving his SUV. So r- around that time, they started, like, they made, he became, a, like, a prime suspect because where the fuck was he all weekend? Right. He said that he didn't know where Danielle was, that that night he was at the same bar as Brenda and her friends. And Brenda did say, like, yeah, he was there. But he even had said, like, yeah, I danced with Brenda while we were at the club. And she was like, mm. no, he was there, but we didn't dance. Like, <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. And then, but later, two eyewitnesses said that they did dance together. I was just about to say, they probably did, but her husband yeah, was probably, like, you know, one of those people that would be like, you dance with who? Mm-hmm. Two days after Danielle went missing, it's when David Westerfield showed up at a dry cleaner's. And he brought in two comforters, two pillow covers, and a jacket. And those articles were covered in blood. Oh, fuck. And so he, so the police are really looking at him. Yeah. So David Allen Westerfield was a self-employed engineer. He was 48 years old at the time. And he actually had several patents for different medical devices. Oh, God. Is he going to be... He... <laughs> is he going to be the toy box killer? <laughs> no. Okay. He didn't have a criminal record. He was divorced. He had two kids that were in college. You know, like I said, he lived like two hours away. 
he had this big, nice, like luxury motorhome. For real, toy box, toy box scalery two Oh no. my god! Oh lord! Okay. About three days before Danielle disappeared, Danielle and Brenda had been to his house to sell some Girl Scout cookies to him. Would you like some Girl Scout cookies? <laughs> what movie? I forgot. But I still say it every time. Quirky Romano. Oh, I would have never remembered that. Did I even see that? I don't know. I did, and it was stupid as fuck, but I love that one part. And and we all, I, I really don't even know <laughs> if I've ever seen it, but we all say that every time we say <laughs> Girl Scout cookies. Anyway, so he let them in. Uh, who turns away Girl Scout cookies? Right. I mean. So he he invited him in, and Brenda wanted to see his kitchen because she knew that he had been remodeling it, you know, yeah. Like before, like the previous year when they sold him cookies, they were like, he was remodeled. So she's like, I want to see what you did do it kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So. Damn, she sounds like me. Yeah. So we're going to back up a little bit. Okay. okay. So on Saturday morning is when Westerfield got his motor home from a different part of town, stocked it with different supplies, and he left home at 950 and that was maybe 10 minutes after Brenda and Damon had called the police. Yeah, they called it at 9.39. Yes. I remember because I wanted to be like, I wonder if like someone who had like a compulsion about numbers like would be mm-hmm. like, got to wait till 9.40 to call it. Like, would that be the most terrible yeah. thing? Because, I mean, you can't, you can't call before 9.40 then. Yeah. Later on, when police were interviewing him, he said that when he left that morning that he had gone around the desert and the beach, just, you know, in his little motorhome. And he said that he stayed at a beach campground, again, in his motorhome. Police were able to confirm this from witnesses, cell phone records, gas receipts, and credit card records. He said that he had intended to go to the desert, but then he realized he forgot his wallet, and so he went to... That campground at the beach, the Silver Strand State Beach. But I'm also like, because it says he paid for a two-night stay in advance, not advanced, in advance, but decided it was too cold. So he came home to look for his wallet, and then he decided to go to the desert. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you want to go to the desert, but you forgot your wallet, so you had this place on the beach you paid for in advance. But then it was like, "Mm, it's too cold. I'm going to come back home and get my wallet so I can go to the desert. That don't make no fucking sense. No. But witnesses at the beach campground said that they saw him pull his wallet out. Ooh. Yeah, so he drove to the desert, and he got stuck in the sand. On Sunday morning, and that was like a quarter of a mile off the road and had to get a tow truck to help him get free. Oh, wow. So, yeah, like, why were you out there? Yes. So, on his way home Monday morning is when he stopped at his dry cleaners, dropped off all that stuff, and it had blood on it. Some stuff says, because, you know, some stuff's got fancy flair. Mm -hmm. So, some stuff says it was, like, covered in blood, and some stuff said it had traces. And, again... At the, when he was interviewed, he left the part out about going to the dry cleaners, even though he gave them like a fucking minute by minute play by play of everything else. Yeah. Very convenient, Western world. (laughs) Western field, but yeah. Yeah. So at that time is when law enforcement was like, um, 
we gonna we gonna put you under surveillance. So yeah. they put him. So that was February fourth. They put him under twenty four hour hour surveillance. When they put him under the surveillance was when they found him cleaning his RV mm. after his trip, and he was like, "No, I always clean my RV after a trip." Which I mean, it's true. Like if he went to the beach and the yeah, desert yeah, yeah. And you stuff. need to get the you got to get the sand. I mean, the salt yeah. off the stuff or it'll rust your car. Absolutely, yeah, sand, all that shit. Yeah. So, but what they did was they ended up impounding his motorhome, his SUV, basically any other property he had, just so okay. they could test everything. On February twenty second is when the police arrested him for kidnapping Danielle because they found two stains of blood from his clothing and his motorhome. Oh, fuck. It wasn't until February 27th that they found Danielle's decomposed body. So, Westerfield, like I said, he had already been arrested. He pled not guilty, and he went to trial on June 4th. So, that is like two months later. Like, that is not a lot of time for a murder case. Yeah. I feel like, but, I mean, what do I know? I'm not an attorney. In the pretrial motions, his attorneys tried to get his statements to police excluded because they said that he was interrogated for more than nine hours by detectives and that they had ignored his requests for an attorney. They ignored his requests to shower, eat, or sleep. But I'm over here like, okay, well, first of all, yeah, if they didn't let him, like if they didn't read him his rights or let him get an attorney when he asked, that's not right. Yeah. But... It was only nine hours. Like, why is he like, oh, I need to take a nap. Oh, I need to shower. Why yeah. you fucking need to shower? Okay, food, yeah. I'd be starving to death. Mm-hmm. Give him give him a sandwich. Yeah. Also, I will say that one of my buddies that is, or was, like, a, a detect, like an undercover police officer did a lot of, like, interrogations. I mean, you know, knows how to read people. You know, his thing was always, if you've got two suspects that you've arrested... And for questioning or, you know, whether you've charged them or not, and one of them goes to sleep, that's who did it. Mm. Because the one who's innocent is up freaking the fuck out. Yeah. That's the one so who true. did it is caught. They probably get in the best sleep they've gotten a yeah. long time. Yeah. If they actually had a conscience about it, you know what I mean? They've been right. worried or whatever. So, I mean, why would you want to sleep? Like, even if you were so exhausted, because let's just say that. He was arrested right after he had gone to the cleaners all disheveled and clearly exhausted. Like, let's just say he had been arrested right then. Like, I feel like it's when you're, it's the same as when you're really drunk and something bad happens and you snap out of it real quick. Yes. That would be the same thing. You could be so fucking exhausted and you get arrested for a murder that you didn't commit. Mm -hmm. You would snap the fuck out of it and you would be coherent. Well, and even, obviously there's exceptions and if he had been like, long tortured or something you know yeah well even then i mean if i'm that exhausted i'm bobbing and weaving my head anyway and i mean in that moment of that's enough for me like to be exhausted and Mm -hmm. then being like wake up okay say something and then like my eyes heavy you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i can do that for nine hours that's fine well and again i mean his complaint is stupid on yeah, that, yeah, on yeah, the yeah. sleeping and showering. But if you're just there for questioning and you are not under arrest, mm-hmm. leave. Yes. They can't keep you. 
Right. Now, once they've arrested you, they can fucking keep you. Right. But if they're just, you're just there for questioning, fucking get out of there. One, get a fucking lawyer. And like I, like you said, if they didn't do that, then. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. But get your lawyer. He'll mm-hmm. get you some sleep. Mm-hmm. So the officers that they said did all this in the interrogation, they never testified. Because they were saying, like, his, like with his testimony and all that, mm-hmm. and, like, it should be thrown out. And so, who like, the two officers that this defense attorney was directing his claims against, like, never got on the stand. So, there was never, like, a questioning about the interview or even a cross-examination because they never even testified. Mm, okay. So, there was a lot of – this could be – and it probably is. I didn't see it. But this would be a good Forensic Files episode. There was a lot of forensic ev- evidence – Danielle's bloodstains were on his jacket and on the floor of his motorhome. Her fingerprints were in the motorhome. Hairs from her, from their family dog, were on the bed's comforter. Oh, my gosh. Hairs consistent with Danielle's were on the sheets of his bed. And matching acrylic fibers were also found on Danielle's body and in Westerfield's home among other things. Wow. So there was really and truly the defense was doing everything it could. Like there's there's a lot of like drama kind of with this case that we'll we'll go over a little bit, but the defense was doing everything it could possibly fucking do to get him off, which is what a defense attorney is supposed yeah. to do. And and one thing even said that regardless of like whether that defense attorney thinks he's guilty or not, he still has to represent him and try to get him off. Right. It's their job. You mean Brendan Dassey's defense attorney? Did a shit did job. Did uh-huh. terrible? Okay, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's what you don't do. Yes. In some of the computers and just like what one, one article called loose computer media, so like. Floppy disk? Yeah, and like CD-ROMs and shit. Mm-hmm. In Westerfield's office, there was. A shit ton, like a hundred thousand images oh of God. porn, child porn. Well, this is what it says: a hundred thousand images, eight thousand to ten thousand were nude images. Eighty of those could be considered child pornography. Some stuff says, yeah, they found the the pornography, but there wasn't any child pornography. Some stuff says, yeah, there was like. It's yeah. kind of I don't know. Yeah. The one one of these articles talked about there was a video or like a quick little movie clip that they found in his office which had an underage girl being sexually assaulted by a man while another man restrained her. Mm, God. And like so all of those like so that clip which had sounds of like the girl struggling, all of that including Two movie clips, six animated cartoons, and 13 still images taken from all of his stuff were shown in the court. Oh, wow. So, Westerfield denied that that stuff was his. So, one thing said that it wasn't his. It was his son, his 18-year-old son, Neil, that had downloaded it. And Neil was like, um, no, I fucking didn't. Another thing was... David Westerfield said that he didn't download it for his enjoyment. He downloaded it so he could start collecting them to send to Congress to show them 
the to be an example of the smut that's on the internet. Oh my god, did he watch an episode of Criminal Minds that I just watched from the second season where a child pedophile probably actually mm-hmm, he was like his screen name was like backwards mm-hmm. save them so mm-hmm. it was like Matthias or some shit like that but that's what he said he was a principal of a fucking school uh-huh and he's like i want to save them that's why i have this on there because i wanted to get to know him and save them mm-hmm. i wanted to meet up with him to save them well I wonder what year that came out because because a lot of like what they do on Criminal Minds like there's like a whole website yeah on, for Criminal Minds like who who they took from real serial killers to make yeah. that I just watched the one that was the Toy Box Killer oh really and you know who the fuck it was who that motherfucker the dad from Seventh Heaven yes and you know I cannot stand him no like I hate him and you know. Well, you don't know. Allegedly, he's a dirty bird. Oh, yeah. Because he plays way too many of these underage Oh, yeah. Kids. No, he was. Uh, it, like, came out, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That he really is a dirty yeah, bird. Yeah, but, like, he watched the baby. I mean, he'd watched. Well, I'm sure he did. But he played in the babysitter's seduction, which, I mean, let's just be honest. I did like that movie. But I hate him. If it would have been anyone else, it would have been even hotter. But, <laughs> I mean, we Stephen all have our Collins kings. is his name. But, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, imagine that. When I saw him, and then I saw, like, because he had, like, all the, he had the mirror on top so they could see themselves and, like, all the shit. Yeah. It's, like, mobile thing. I was like, this is a toy box killer. And, of course, it's Dirty Bird. Dude, I hated him on Seventh Heaven. Like, hated him. Yeah, okay. Yes. Totally just found this ep- this article. It was from 2014. But that he confessed to inappropriate sexual contact with three female minors that occurred from 1973 to 1994. Ugh. I'm, like, he is so skeevy. Ugh, God. I love that, like, he was like, um, you know, I'm... I'm I've been a I've, I did a thing 30 years ago and I've been atoning for it ever since. And meanwhile, he goes on to say the only reason why I'm telling you this is because he like confessed to it in a private therapy session with his then wife and then when they got when they like separated, I guess she spilled the beans. Uh. And so like so even then you could not take responsibility for it. You uh-huh. had to blame your ex-wife mm-hmm. for spilling the beans. And How about just don't fucking do it? Yeah, and I've been atoning since. Well, yeah. Clearly not, because the first step is admitting it. Well, honestly, sure, you have. But so have other criminals, and they've been in fucking jail where you belong. Preach. Oh, I can't stand him. And Seventh Heaven would have been so much better without you in that fucking episode that I cannot stand where he is in a coma and he's fucking Elvis. Elvis! Yes. I think Seventh Heaven could have been better without just Kabil. Not a fan of hers. Honestly, it could have been better with the whole cast, but it could have um, been better just not a show. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, gosh. I really did like the show because I was like all churchy back then and Ugh. whatever. Okay, anyway, all right, moving on. So the motherfucker tried to blame it on his kid and then said, "No, no, no, I was getting it for the government." Right. I just haven't compiled enough yet. Right. So he wouldn't, you know, send it off yet. He mm-hmm. had to, yeah, send it. So then. 
This is where it, see, this pisses me, this next part, right the fuck off. Oh, shit. Then the defense turned it on Danielle's fucking parents uh, uh. and said that they had an open marriage and were swingers. Who the fuck cares? And regularly smoked marijuana in their garage. Who the fuck cares? None of that says, hey, and we also have a seven-year-old kid and she needs to be kidnapped and killed. None of that says Like, that. first of all. You can have sex with whoever the fuck you want to, unless it's a child. Right. And then I will cut your balls off. Right. But. And if they say no. Touche. These are the rules. No <laughs> kids. And if they don't want to, or they say no, or they can't say no, keep it in your fucking pants. Yes. Girls too. Yes. So, let them have sex with whomever they want. It does not matter. Because, like, saying, that, let's say, let's just say that they were... In the middle of a threesome when she got kidnapped. How is that different than her parents being in the middle of just sex? Right. When she got kidnapped. No It's not. Sex is sex. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not. You are just placing your, quote, moral compass on them and mind your fucking business. Yeah. And they're just trying, what that's doing is trying to get the jury to see them as unfit parents. Exactly. And what pissed me off, too was a lot of things I was reading was saying, like, when, like, that was bashing the parents was talking about, oh, they're swingers. And it would be like, I don't know anybody that's a swingers. Uh, yeah, you fucking do. Look yeah. for their pineapple pin on their door. <laughs> you motherfucking that pineapple. <laughs> but, yeah, you do. You just don't know you do. Yes. And it would be like them, it would say they do, I don't know anybody that does recreational drugs. Okay. okay it's fucking sure. pot. Sure. And yeah, you do. You probably fucking do. Yeah, that was probably for from five years ago, and now he's a heavy smoker. Uh-huh. And, like, it's okay. It's, it's medicinal. <laughs> also, this is the thing. So, some people say, like, in cases where, like, bushy eyebrows guy. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Peterson. Uh-huh. It, when Michael Peterson. Mm-hmm. When he's on the stand and the defense... Brings up, not defense, when the prosecutor brings up his sexuality. Uh-huh. And people say that they shouldn't have done that. She's doing that to get the jurors against him, which it is. Yeah, absolutely. However, it did make, a, he was having an affair mm-hmm. and it was with different guys. Like, that's who he's into. That's fine. But that if she said he was having an affair and this is a woman, it would have been the same thing to me. However, with them, her doing that or whoever doing that is wrong because it's not like he was a swinger with them and that's how he's connected. And Mm -hmm. because if that would have been the case, like, how is he connected with them? He's their neighbor, but he also had sex because they're swingers. But, you know, like, then that would have been justified to be brought up. To me. Yeah, like, how did he get in the house? Well, he got got in the house because they had all just boned. You know what I mean? That gives it... That um, would be the only reason why that shit should be brought up. Right. Other than that, null and void. Mm Mm-hmm. So, the defense says that the prosecution did not present any evidence that directly linked him to Danielle. That, I mean, you know, other than all the fucking hair and blood that was found. Okay. But. That he got cleaned, too. Yeah. So, they the defense said that there were no traces of evidence that he had been in her house. 
like there was no hair, there were no fingerprints, no fibers, nothing, none of his DNA found on her body. And again, none of that stuff found in her house. Although the prosecution used some criminalists that linked microscopic fibers on the body of Danielle to hundreds of fibers found in Westerfield's home. The defense also used an entomologist to testify, like that's the one like with bugs and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they used three entomologists that said that the flies that had laid eggs on Danielle's body had done so sometime in mid-February, which was after he was under surveillance. And so Mm. he supposedly wouldn't be able to do that. However, one of the entomologists, his name was David Faulkner, while he was being cross-examined, he did concede that his time estimate was just based on the fly larva and that his research was you could he could not say the maximum amount of time that her body had been outside. Right. So it couldn't be like he couldn't be like it was mid February and it was no earlier than that. He could not they couldn't right. say that. Yeah. It's just when they hatched or whatever. Yeah. Then another entomologist, Neil Haskell, said by using a weather chart prepared for by by a forensic artist James Grip, he said that the warm temperatures made it likely that the insects immediately colonized on Daniel's cor- corpse. And then the third one, Robert Hall, said that, that the initial insect infestation happened between February 12th and 23rd, which again would have been after he was on surveillance. But under cross-examination, he said that the infestation wasn't, quote, typical because so few maggots were found mm-hmm. in her head. I hate to even Ooh. say that part. But so, yeah, I know the, the bug stuff is whew. The prosecutor's entomologist, Dr. Madison Lee Goff, she testified that infestation occurred anywhere from February 9th to February 14th. But she stressed that there were things that could have delayed the infestation, like her being covered by a blanket could have kept the flies away initially. With that said, though, they never found like a covering for her. Mm. So it's just, it's one of those, that's what's so hard about forensic evidence like that. Like there's no real answer. Like you can argue both sides. So the trial lasted two months. It ended on August 8th. I know. What? Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, just, To recap, that's Donna's birthday, and it was in her story, too. Yeah. On August 21st is when the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and possession of child pornography. When it went into the penalty phase of it, his Westerfield's 19-year-old niece testified that when she was seven, he, she was, like, spending the night with her, with his daughter. Mm Mm-hmm. He came into the bedroom while they were sleeping, and she woke up to find him rubbing her teeth. Ew. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, what? So when she woke up, she bit his finger as hard as she could and then went downstairs to tell her mom. He was like his sister, which would have been his sister-in-law, and she Mm -hmm. was like, um, 
what the fuck just happened? Yeah. And he said that he had just entered the bedroom to check on them and was trying to comfort her. And so, like, it was just kind of swept under a rug. Like, he explained it off. Yeah. He So, he was sentenced to death in January of 2003. Damn. Okay. So, after Westfield's conviction, a guy by the name of James Selby, who some of you may know, confessed. He wrote a, a confession to Danielle's murder. Police had been searching for him for the sexual assault of a woman in San Diego in 2001 and for kidnapping a nine-year-old girl from Oklahoma from her bedroom in the middle of the night and raping her in 1999. He was also charged in spring of 2001 with the sexual assault of a 12-year-old girl in Nevada, but police don't think that he actually did it. So... The prosecutor said that the confession was not credible because James Selby was in Tucson, Arizona when she was kidnapped. And it's believed that he was responsible for a series of rapes in Arizona from October 2001 to May 2002. Mm. And if you remember, she was kidnapped and murdered in February of 2002. Yeah. Also, he had a prior rape conviction in Colorado and... He had taken responsibility for the murder of Jean Benet. Oh, Lord. Yeah, he was one of them. So, you know, it's it's one of those, mm, probably not. He said he did it, but it yeah. just, it just the timelines don't add up. Yeah, it's similar to some stuff he had done before, but he ended up committing suicide in jail in 2002, if you remember mm. that. Okay, so... Westerfield, sentenced to death, was taken to San Quentin. The Van Dams sued him, and the case was settled out of court. They were awarded $416,000 from several insurance companies who insured his home, SUV, and motorhome. And because of that settlement, it kept him from ever profiting from the crime. So, like, he couldn't, like, sell a book or whatever. Yeah. Which I thought was really amazing and smart. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know that there was some, like, kind of iffy shit about the evidence and, like, okay, well, there was none in her house and there was this and there was that. Well, after all was said and done, a little tidbit came out. Minutes before they found her body, he was about to sign a confession and tell them where the body was to avoid the death penalty. Wow. So he knew where the body was was about to confess so that he could get life and not the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And then, oops, we found her. So you're going to fucking trial and you're getting the death penalty. Wow. So then they got to poke holes and do the best they can do. Yeah. But you don't confess and have a fucking plea deal that rests on you knowing where the body is and you don't know where the body is. Right. So he fucking did it. Oh, for sure. I mean... We know he did it, but he really fucking did it. Yeah. Because, again, that, even if it was one of those situations in which somebody confessed to something because they had been under duress from the mm-hmm. interrogation and all of that, he still couldn't have completed his end of the plea bargain. Right. Because he wouldn't know where the body was. Yeah. The only way he could have done that was if he actually knew where the body was. Right. So, a couple of things. There's just a couple more things I want to tell about it. One is that... 
Okay, so there was a legal activist, Gloria Allred, and what she tried to do was say that Danielle was killed in her bed, not kidnapped and then killed. Therefore, he should not have gotten the death penalty because even if he had done it, the the kidnapping is what made it a death penalty case because it was like special circumstances kind of thing. And so she tried to say, well, she was killed in her bed, not out. Mm. Ergo, he should not have gotten the death penalty. Well, the family was like, I'm so fucking literally not. And so they got prosecutors to pass a law called Danielle's Law, which made killing a child in their home a special circumstance for the death penalty, too. Oh. So it it took that loophole yeah. out of it. Also, at the time, the Amber Alert system was in place, mm-hmm. but it wasn't used yet because it was still at the very beginning of the whole Amber Alert. Yeah. And so, which I want to do that case one day. But anyway. I love that case. And so this was the case that kind of, Got the governor, oh, okay, we really got to start fucking using this Ambler Alert. Yeah. And so it was, even though the Ambler Alert was in place, it wasn't being used. And this was the case. It was like, all right, we got to use it. Yeah. So a couple of, like, big things were changed because of this case, which I think is fascinating. And then they named the overpass of Interstate 8 right where her, by where her body was found. They named it Danielle Van Dam Memorial Overpass, which I thought was sweet. Yes. So he is in San Quentin rotting away, waiting for the death, pen- death penalty. Although I don't think he will because California has a stay on their mm. death penalty. But then I think they just brought it back. Anyway, he's probably not. He I would, wonder if you've seen him on lockup. Probably not because if he's on death row, they usually have them like uh, where you can't. You know what I mean? Because they're usually yeah. in their own cells. Like if you're going to spend life in prison. The only reason to fight for life in prison versus the death penalty, because I feel like I've always been like, why would you want life in prison versus the death penalty? Like, just get it fucking over with, you know? Yeah. But it really is a shittier existence in prison being on death row, Mm. you know, because, again, they're usually alone in a cell 23 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, whereas if you just had life, you could be in gin pop. Yeah, but then I mean that's dangerous too. No, I know it, it, they both. Have, but I'm just saying, like, yeah. I've always been like, why in the fuck would you want to spend the rest of your life in prison? Like, yeah, go ahead and kill me, you know? Yeah, who wants that? But it, but it kind of makes sense in that. Yeah. Right. Okay, so what that was we a learned? good one. Oh, thank you. That was a real good one. What did we learn? One, scrutinize the research because four entomologists said. Essentially four different things. Right. That's very true. And so you have to look at, like, okay, well, what it was their decision-making process, and why mm-hmm. did they choose this versus that? You know what I mean? Right. And so I think it comes down to them showing their logic and why they right. did what they did. Yeah. And that comes with good lawyers that's going to make them back up and show the full picture. Yeah. Not just saying, oh, we found it from our stuff that A, B, and C happened. Okay, right. well, what were you testing for? And How what was did your you process? Come to that? Yes. Number two, addicts are fucking scary. Mm hmm. Like, no thank you. If something's flashing on your security system and like a fucking door's open, just yeah. do a pass through. You yeah. Know? 
I would even like sh- maybe Brenda kind of stirred when he got up and checked it, and you could be like, "Did you come in the side door?" You know, right. or I don't know, just just do a pass through. It's worth the inconvenience, especially if you have kids. Yeah. Well, if something makes you go, hmm, was that, like, it's worth the inconvenience. You're mm-hmm. going to, like, I mean, you don't have to, like, try to wake your kids up, but yeah, check just, in on them. Mm-hmm. Do something. Like, not blaming them. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, because at we, that point, she was gone anyway. Yeah. And we've all done it where it's like, was that unlocked? I don't know. I'll lock it back. And, Absolutely. you know, you go in. Whatever. But. I'm now more aware of shit like that. Mm -hmm. So I hope y'all are too. Yes. Okay. This is not something we learned. I completely forgot to mention this earlier. Don't laugh at me, Carrie. But the half of my family plays WoW, like World of Warcraft. Uh Uh-huh. And they have like these game nights where they play together and stuff. And I feel fucking left out. So I told Kenneth, I was like, can I I raid with y'all? Can I roll with you? And he's like, yeah, just make a character. You did not make a character. I haven't yet, but I really do want to. Okay. I don't know. But I was like, I mean, I'm total newbie. Like, yeah. can I roll with y'all or raid? Uh, I'm learning the lingo, too. Because I'm new. Like, mm-hmm. are there levels? What, what is it? He was like, YouTube it. Learn what you want to be. Because you get to pick your roles and stuff. So, anyway. I need y'all's help. I know some of y'all are gamers. Do y'all play WoW? Do you want to raid with me? Do you want to be friends? Hit me up. And this might last for like a week. So I was going to (laughs) say. Yeah, she gets, this is Donna. A new game. Give me all the things. I'm going to get all the stuff. We're going to play. We're going to play. We're going to play. I'm going to play all the time. This game is dumb. (laughs) I can't believe you still play. And I'm like, it's been three fucking days. (laughs) Um. we all know I still play Candy Crush, and I am proud of it. <laughs> but you give up after, like, legit a, week. a solid three. I'll give it even give it a solid three weeks. Okay, yeah. Especially if you put money into it. Yeah, which I think this is, like, $15 a month. Holy shit! But if it's time with my family and friends... No, you do what you want to do. Okay, so, for real. Hit me up. And send us some stories, sinister sightings, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. You know what it can be. You know the drill. All the shit. And remember, creep it real and don't get scared. scared.